just be yourself, be authentically you. Don't try to be somebody else. The world needs you and your brand of who you are. And if you show up, let your light shine and um, it, it'll come. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. Good morning, Mom. Good morning, Emma. Happy snow day number two. Yeah, happy snow day number two. It's well, it's kind of melting here, but yeah, it's still really beautiful. So beautiful. I just got back from a very icy and cold walk, but it's really magical. Did you the fall ice- down? <laughs> I no, almost I did, fell I down. Did, I did not fall down. The twigs are still encased in ice, and it's really, really magical. Oh, so they haven't yeah. melted off yet. No, but it's really weird because what happened was, you know, it snowed yesterday and then it rained for a while and then it sleeted and then it snowed again. So it's kind of like this Christmas snow cake thing. And it's, <laughs> it's really, it's really different, but beautiful. Well, it's just <laughs> in time for the winter solstice, which is Monday, the 21st. Yeah. It's right on time. Do you have any so winter solstice wisdom? Oh, you know, I just always think of people a long time ago before there was electricity and when they were cold and very dark and, um, you know, how they how they wanted to gather together in front of the fire just to fend off the cold and the dark. And I just I, I think of them a lot on, on these very early dark evenings. I saw this this crazy thing on some like internet thing that it's Saturn and Jupiter will be the first time on on December 21st so on the winter solstice it'll be the first time they align like this since the middle ages so it'll look like a double planet just be super super bright the last time it happened was March 4th 1226 yeah and they'll appear low in the western sky for about an hour after sunset as viewed from the northern hemisphere anyways I think it's really cool that's happening on December 21st yeah, that is not to be missed. And tell them what else is happening on December 21st. Oh, I was about to go into that. You're All right. Right great. on it. So yeah. on December 21st, we are also beginning the new season in the Almanac. If you've been listening to The Good Dirt, you've heard us talk about the Almanac. It is our online community. It's our membership portal for all things seasonal and slow living and we've organized it by seasons and so we've been sort of in this fall retreat season of sharing but now we're on the 21st we start with 
our new season of rest. And so we have activities for each month organized around finding more rest in our daily life. And we have a live podcast recording planned. We'll announce that soon. We have a book club meeting coming up for the towards the end of the season. We're just kind of launching our community life together on the 21st. We even have a little gathering that night on Zoom where we will do a little orientation and show new members around the Almanac and show them how it works and where they can find all of the wonderful content and events and things happening. So very exciting. Yeah. And tell them about if there's anybody out there that would like to join us in this community. Oh, yeah. If you want to join the Almanac, go to the website, ladyfarmer.com, and you can just click the button Almanac, and it'll lead you to how to sign up. Also, if you have anyone in your life that you think would love a gifted membership to the Almanac, it's a great gift because it's not going to get stuck in the mail. Although, I do appreciate USPS. I know they're working so hard to get everything out by Christmas, but I've been reading to certain headlines. Like, of course, they're more backed up than ever. Anyways, Almanac won't be shipped in the mail. <laughs> so it's a great it's also, gift. Also zero waste, I might It add. is also zero waste. Um, and if you do want to give it as a gift, we will send you a cute little like printout card kind of explaining what it is that you can either email um, to the recipient or print out and, and wrap. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about like slow gift giving and so forth, but we talk about giving the gift of experience. And that is, this is a gift of experience that goes through the whole year. And it's an experience of community and it's an experience of all kinds of uh, resources and articles, essays, videos, music, poetry, um, recipes, ideas, gardening advice, just so, so many things. Yeah. And something that I'm really excited about too is Um, relying less and less on like Instagram and Facebook to get my entertainment and inspiration for things that I love and care about. I'm really proud of this platform being a place, uh, kind of a main hub for all of the things that I really care about. So the Almanac is great because it is this social connector. It is social media, but it's, um, it's private. You're not making yourself vulnerable to all sorts of intrusion on your data and your private information this is all just once you're in the community it's all protected and in there just us yeah anybody's welcome yeah december 21st big day we're excited yeah you can sign up until the end of the month until december 31st Uh, but if you sign it before the 21st you will get this nifty little orientation session we're having to um, help you learn your way around in there which should be really useful i think yeah, and if you sign up after that, you'll have access to the recording as well. Um, but True. it's a great point you bring up. We are closing the cart December 31st because the idea is that we're all kind of on a similar journey together. So we're doing it. We're having folks join us per season. So if you join us in winter, it'll be this group through the winter, and then we'll hopefully welcome new people in for the spring, summer, fall, and it'll go like that. So it'll only be open four times a year. So if you're curious, now is the time to join. Anyways... Yes. That's the almanac. Want to get into our episode for today, Mom? Yes, we have a really, really good episode today. And I thought I would start out by asking you a question, Emma. Do you remember as a child, Oh, MacDonald had a farm? Why, yes, Mother. I do remember (laughs) that song. Why do you ask? Well, (laughs) I don't know where she's going with this, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. 
I remember thinking, well, does Old MacDonald have a farm? Where is Old MacDonald? I remember as a child knowing like there were farmers here and there and they grew things and they had cows. And But it's, it's sort of occurred to me that, you know, where are the farmers now? And I never see any around. And I just started thinking about what it, what is that? Now, looking back on that and that, that sort of light bulb I had about farms, I realized that that was at a point when industrialized farming had really taken hold and there weren't the the small farms and the homesteads that that I had seen in my childhood and that had and had really existed all across America especially before World War II they gradually been disappearing and replaced by these big giant farms you just the the old McDonald had a farm was if not completely gone then quickly disappearing so fast forward 20 or 30 years and you have people getting more and more interested in where their food came from. Um, they have family farms that they they want to hold on to. It's getting harder and harder to do that. People can't pay the um, property taxes and they can't afford these giant machines anymore and these giant operations. And the cost of these commodity crops leave a very, very small margin for farmers to live on. And, um, you know, it's well-known fact that farmers have a hard time making a living. So more and more people are either seeking land of their own or they want to reclaim the family land and, and make it work again with small farming. But that's just hard to do. And there are fewer and fewer people that are trained in farming because there are not that many people that have chosen that as a career at this point in history. So what do you do? And what do they do? They want to get back on the land. They want to keep the farm. So you have people like Wildberry Farm. And that's who we are interviewing today, Bridget of Wildberry Farm. And she's going to tell us how they took over the family farm and the many different ways that they are making it work. It's really a great story and should be inspiring to all of our listeners that have this idea in their head that they might want to do something like this. Yeah, I really love talking to Bridget and hearing about everything that she and her husband, Matt, have been doing for the farm business over the past. It was only They've only been in business for a year. So, so I think for, for us to hear and for our audience to the different ways that you can have a business on a farm, it's not just necessarily like not just vegetables or livestock or, you know, now the diversity of the revenue stream is so important. Yeah, they have just so many different ways of going about keeping the farm going and involving the family and involving the community. And it's just really delight to talk to them. So we hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did and maybe get some ideas for yourself if you think this is something that you dream about doing someday. I actually did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in the suburbs and I met a farmer and that's what landed me here. So my husband, Matt, and I own Wildberry Farm and Market. We're in Crownsville, Maryland. It's about uh, 20 minutes outside of Annapolis. Um, we recently switched our agriculture over from crops such as uh, soybeans and corn to seasonal produce and flowers. We also host uh, markets throughout the season, different farm events, and uh, local photographers on our farm uh, as an exclusive photography location. We also have chickens. They're like my babies. <laughs> and um, I have 14 right now. And we have a, you know, a barn cat, a dog, children, all the fun things <laughs> that a farm needs. <laughs> so you said you have 14 chickens. 
Yes. Um, and how many eggs are you getting? I actually got my chickens in kind of like, I had one flock that was laying um, and that was about like eight chickens and I got some more this spring. And so my babies, which are not babies anymore, are um, just starting to lay. So yesterday I got like nine eggs, which was pretty good. We tried that this year for the first time, like, you know, introducing more chickens into already established chickens. It was hard. It's, it's been kind of hard. It's hard for them to integrate them so that you have one flock. It's almost like we have two flocks now. Yeah. 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 As they, um, as the smaller ones start to look more like the bigger ones, they will go into the fold a little bit better. Yeah. Laying basically. <laughs> so we have one little one that was picked on for like four years and now she's the bully because <laughs> there's one smaller than her. So it's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Chickens do weird things. <laughs> They're so funny though. They are. They really are. I mean, I love them. I think it's very interesting um, the way that the flock is set up. I think that it's, it's great for my kids to be able to see where our food comes from, um, that sort of thing. But it, it was a struggle introducing the newer ones to the existing flock. I kind of like hung out in the run for like a whole morning and just like protected the babies. <laughs> You have to kind of do that sometimes. Yeah. We had a we had a really testy rooster. Rest in peace. Yeah. He got a he got what a dog got him or something. Who what happened to the last rooster? A raccoon? I don't know. But he was awful. And my dad, this is early on, my dad would like sit in the chicken run with it because he like read something that if you just like sit with the roosters and he would he'd like bring a book and like be really calm and not supposed to like calm him down or something. Yeah. There's so many theories. <laughs> yes, I've heard some um, like interesting theories about roosters, like um, trying to like dominate them so that you are actually the head of the flock. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't have roosters, so I haven't had that experience <laughs> it's yet. so much easier without them. Yes, very much so. <laughs> so you, you married a farmer, and then how long have you had your farm business kind of in its current form and what is that like tell us about um the business as it is right now okay um yeah so the farm has been here uh well matt's family my husband they've been here since the 1930s um and it was an old tobacco well it was a tobacco farm uh they took the buyout and then they did mostly produce um you know on a larger scale soybeans corn that sort of thing and this past year the um the farmer that was farming us, uh, a friend of Matt's grandfather, he lived down the road, he passed. Um, and Matt and I had always had this dream of taking over the farm. So um, we, the farm already had a farm plan. Matt's grandfather went to school for farming and um, he had a very success, successful business on the farm. Um, but as time went on and the farm was broken up between families and everything, it's, you know, it's gone from about 300 acres down to 80 acres. So we're working with, you know, when people in our area come here, they're like, wow, you have so much space. But in regards to a farm, it's really not that big. Um, so we're working with about five fields right now, um, each about five acres. You know, when Matt and I decided like, this is what we want to do. We're really interested in it. We're really excited about it. Our family just really supported us. They kind of rallied around us and it um, was more geared towards uh, the, ag the agritourism side of farming rather than necessarily like the classic farming where you're, you know, doing larger scale produce or larger scale, you know, animals or whatever. We kind of want this to be more of a community centered location. While it is a farm, I feel as though 
we can support um, other small businesses, we can support other farmers, we can support um, you know, our local community by offering this space up um, under that agritourism bill that was signed in recently uh, by Governor Hogan. So what is the, the theme then of your farm? Is it just so people can come and see what's going on, like farm tours? Or do you have like a, you know, if you own or a corn maze or, you know, usually there's some sort of attraction that brings people in. Right. So we actually are a little bit different than most agritourism. We offer up our farm to local photographers um, as an exclusive photography location. You can go right on our website. You can book your time online. You're the only person photographer here with your clients at that time. Um, and we have spots around the farm that are set up specifically for photography. So we have rows of wildflowers in our uh, one of our fields with grass paths in between. So you can be in the wildflower field. Um, we have a wooded area with mature trees, tree swings, that sort of thing. And all of these spaces on the farm have been designed for photography. And then as well as our, our markets, uh, we do a lot of open air markets uh, with our produce and our farm goods, but as well as other local small businesses, specifically women-owned small businesses, creators, crafters, you know, the like uh, that come on the second Saturday of the month and we set up our field in an open air vendor market and um, they're able to sell their goods here. What a great idea to um, rent out your property for photography. That's a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. How does that yeah. work? Does do people come and rent the space and like is that especially during this weird time, like has that been a thing? Yes, we are like super busy. Um, fall is a crazy busy time in the photography world. And uh, like Saturday we have five photographers here back to back. So they will rent the farm out for mini sessions, which are like 20 minute smaller sessions where they just, you know put families through and um, you get an X amount, maybe like 10 digital images, or, you know, uh, we just had a maternity shoot the other night, a good friend, photographer friend of ours, she loves to rent like VW buses. So she had one up here for an engagement shoot. So it's really fun. The thing that's really fun to me is that my husband and I are very uh, creative and artistic. And I love to see the farm through the eyes of other people. Each photographer, their pictures are different. The way that they see the farm is completely different than me or Matt, but even each other. So even though they're shooting in the same spot, it looks completely different every time, regardless of, you know, it being the same location. Do you have anything to do with the, the photography or someone is just using your space? You don't have to really do anything except just say welcome. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, yeah. So, um, of course, we have to make sure that, you know, all of our paperwork is in place. So, you know, we have a contract and um, we have like a parking area set up. I have this area in the bottom level of our home where um, they can come in. We have a bathroom down here. They can change if they need to or use the bathroom. And, you know, with it being a family property, we have to make sure that we're very on top of, you know, the property lines and that sort of thing. Uh, my mother-in-law lives next door to us. So I want to make sure that her space is respected. So uh, I do give tours to photographers as well as, you know, if a family wanted to come and see the farm. When a photographer is here for the first time, I reach out to them and they come during the week for a complimentary tour. I show them the spots um, where the sun rises and sets, depending on what time of day they're coming. And um, just make sure that they know, you know, where the parameters are, uh, what's available, that sort of thing. And are you a photographer yourself? 
I am not. My husband uh, went, his schooling is um, graphic design, but he was very into art in middle school, high school, and into college. And um, so he took photography classes. I took photography in high school, but I would love to actually get into it. It's something that's on my list of things to start learning. I really love being creative and being artistic. And I feel like that would be a really fun outlet. In other words, you guys have found at least one way to help sustain the family farm. Because nowadays, and I'll let you take over from here, why would a a family farm like you have to come up with other ways of keeping it going? I'll let you tell that story. (laughs) (laughs) This is something that's like super near and dear to my heart because um, although I didn't grow up here, I've been on the farm for about 10 years and there's something about farming. It's not just a career or a job. It's a lifestyle. And while it's very hard work, it's very fulfilling work. Um, And you really become connected to the land and the animals and, you know, the people on the farm that you're working with, your family, that sort of thing. And our biggest goal, (laughs) my husband and I and the other uh, siblings of his that are on the farm, um, our biggest goal is is to sustain this farm and to keep the land uh, agricultural for our generations to come. And with farming in our area, we live in a very busy metropolitan area. A lot of the men that work on farms had to find jobs off of the farm because farming was becoming such a hard living in our area. Farms are being sold off, split up between children. My father-in-law, he's a contractor. My husband, is a yacht, he does yacht restoration in Annapolis. And um, so they both have jobs off of the farm. If we can somehow figure out a way to diversify our farming operations and sustain the land so that we can pass it along to our children and they can have the, what is left of the farm, that would be my biggest joy to leave that legacy behind. It, it is hard to, I mean, we have tractors and they break, which I'm sure you can relate to. We have, um, you know, a lot of land to take care of. It's a lot of mowing. Um, it's, it's an all weekend job. I call it our weekend job, um, but it's an all weekend <laughs> job and it is not easy, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, and that's really what we're trying to do is keep the family farm here for our children and our nieces. Yeah. And so, and you, you found this way, are there other ways that you are like, are you selling any of your food or what, what other ways have you found to sustain, you know, the family farm? Right. So um, of course we have the flowers, which is, you know, everybody loves flowers. So we sell those at our markets. Um, I actually have an online shop as well, where you can buy our eggs and pick up on the farm. We have an old family recipe, Uh, It's called mint tea. It's a sweetened iced tea uh, that Matt's grandmother passed down through the generations. I sell that as well. Um, I sell uh, baked goods. So the cottage laws in our area allow us to um, make baked goods and sell them. And so I do um, different breads throughout the season. But uh, my mother-in-law passed me her zucchini blueberry bread, which one at the county fair one year. And um, so just like fun things like that, you know, um, I do pumpkin bread in the fall. And um, Matt and I are, like I said, really into graphic design and, um, you know, being creative. And so we make t-shirts and uh, we're looking at making mugs and hats and so different merchandise, that sort of thing. Um, and then of course, at the vendor markets, 
I love to collaborate with other vendors. Um, so I've done t-shirts with like my friend, Jamie, she, uh, has a business called Jamie creates and she does t-shirts and stickers and she's done some t-shirts for us. Uh, she did some stickers of our bouquets. So it's like hand-drawn Mason jar bouquets with our little logo on it. And, um, it's just really fun to be able to collaborate with other people. And, um, we also have produce boxes during the season that you can order online and pick up on the farm. Um, and my friend, Samantha from Howard and Bow, it's a curated gift wrapping business. She helped me put the produce boxes together because I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like she found this box and the, the egg carton fits perfectly and the pint box fits right next to it. And I can put other loose produce behind it. And so I have two sizes of that, um, classic and family size. So just trying to make it appealing to, uh, not only families and, uh, our local community, but like the younger generation, you know, uh, there's so many places that, um, you know, have a corn maze around us or have um, mm -hmm. a petting zoo or have this or that, but we have a vendor market and we do online sales and we offer our farm up to photographers. So it kind of sets us apart a little bit into like its own little niche uh, where it's a little bit more trendy, if you will. I mean, I guess this is kind of like old and tired and overused, but like literally your brand, like your farm is your brand and you've found ways to present yourself to the world and invite people in to engage with you in kind of these multiple different ways, which is so interesting and like really creative. And I don't know, I just think it's a really kind of encouraging and an inspiring example for other people to, to like, be, you have to, you have to kind of figure out at least try a few different things, I think, nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't in our vocabulary before COVID. I don't know. Now it is. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I have a question. Are your produce boxes, are, is that a, like a CSA where people sign up for it for the whole season? No, it's not a CSA. It's more of a first come, first serve. Um, I'm not sure what, you know, the following years will look like. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but we started in 2019. Um, so we almost are a year into this. Um, we started in October of last year. So uh, this is our first year. And, you know, I've had the question about CSAs a lot. I'm not sure yet what that's going to look like. Um, I was very hesitant to my one friend that uh, has a farm on the Eastern shore. She did uh, victory gardens during COVID, which I thought was a great idea, but I didn't know if I wanted to invite, you know, a group of people up to the farm to do their own garden in the midst of the pandemic. So I have yeah. some different ideas that I'm throwing around, um, especially for our front field by the road uh, where we do a lot of our events. I'd love to do like a little section of pick your own. Um, that's like, you know, further down the line. We have a lot of dreams. <laughs> My husband has a lot of projects on his list. <laughs> but yeah, right now it's just our produce, um, what we grow, the boxes contain. Um, so the classic box would be like a pint of cherry tomatoes, a half a dozen eggs, um, a zucchini, a squash and a tomato. And then the family would be basically double that. So you've been at this less than a year. Um, I'm amazed. I did not know. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm super impressed. I have a question. Was the farm ever, like, was it ever commercially grown? Did they ever grow things on, you know, and sold like commodities or what, what was, what's the history of the, the farm use? 
I'm curious so, about. Um, in the beginning, it was a tobacco farm. My husband's grandfather on his dad's side um, grew tobacco and then they took the buyout and my father- Can you pause? Can you explain a little bit if people don't know, aka I don't know okay. what that means. <laughs> so the government offered a buyout um, to tobacco farmers when they realized like cigarettes are no-no. And um, when farmers were, you know, like kind of towards the end of like their farming career, they were like, heck yeah, I'm going to take this. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but yeah, I'm allowed, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take this buyout. And um, so they switched over to um, more of a, they did mums, um, they did squash, they did tomatoes. There's an orchard on the farm um, and they sold to Safeway in the area. That is so interesting. Yeah. So they did diversify and then they sold locally. Yep. Yeah, That's kind of amazing. like what we're doing. <laughs> so it's never been the big giant soybean thing. It was when um, the farmer down the road was farming us. Um, they switched over to soybean and corn and, and that sort of thing. Um, my father-in-law had a produce stand in the area as well as selling to Safeway uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And then he joined the Carpenters Union and became a contractor eventually. And when my husband was very small, the farm was still operational. So my husband had a little bit of that experience of growing up on a farm. Um, but it kind of stopped his sister and his younger, his younger sister and younger brother didn't really experience it as much. So it's kind of cool. We have like this equipment from, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s era, and um, we're like plowing fields and <laughs> figuring it out ourselves. But um, thank goodness for Google. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And that, um, that corn and soybeans, is that still happening or has it stopped? And like, what, it, what is the, what's the, the decision making around that? Yeah, so when uh, the farmer that was farming us passed, my husband and I decided that um, we wanted to take over planting, you know, the fields and everything. So we <laughs> had a little bit, a bit of a blunder this year. Um, we planted fields of sunflowers. Photographers love sunflowers. And um, the deer ate every single last one. So thousands of dollars <laughs> in loss. However, we did learn a lot. Um, we have a huge deer problem because of our area. They don't really have many places to go. It's very, they're very contained in their little areas. There are hunters around us that hunt. We have never hunted, so it's not really our thing. I don't have a problem with that if, you know, but I just don't really know what to do about them. So um, we kind of, again, pivoted. Um, we have an idea for next year to do a fenced-in area of sunflowers. We talked to a few photographer friends and they were like, you know, we don't need a whole field. We really just need like a section. So we have um, a little spot that we're gonna fence in and do it in there. And then we are, um, we actually need to balance out our fields. We need to add nitrogen into the soil. So we are going to be planting crimson clover um, in most of our fields uh, for the next season as our cover crop, just to get that balance back. So that's wonderful to share about the, the big uh, experiment. <laughs> went the wrong way because that's I mean you know that just that stuff just happens all the time and pivot do something else and exactly sounds like you got like super creative and you're always ready for the next thing and I think that's what it takes and I think so many people want to go into farming these days and hopefully they do because we need people to go into farming 
you know, I'm sure you know the statistics that, you know, that as a as a profession, it's really it's on the decline. And the more younger people in the, the beginning of their career that come along and want to, you know, continue the family farms and do things to make it work, the better. Otherwise, these lands are going to be gobbled up by everything, you know, subdivisions and roads and shopping centers and, and the whole thing. But, and I think the whole thing that's interesting about this conversation, it's it, anymore, it's not just about, oh, we're going to farm and uh, here we'll grow some vegetables and sell them and, and like, that's not viable these days for whatever reason, for, well, for a lot of reasons. The way you describe it is almost like a puzzle. Like you have, you have all these pieces and you're putting together this puzzle and the goal is to keep the farm intact. Um, you're, you're talking about the soil and, you know, how you're, under, you're learning how you have to, you know, balance it out. You do one thing one year and one thing another year. So how did you all learn about that? I mean, I know that's a big learning curve right there. And, and how, how was the soil when you all started this? Did, were there problems in it? Had, it been, um, had there been a lot of chemical use and worn it out and that kind of thing? Yes. So, I mean, we have some basic knowledge about farming. Um, like I said, Matt grew up, you know, up until probably fifth grade farming. He was young, but he did experience it. Um, and just watching the farmers that were farming us, um, you know, they did a cover crop every year and then they would do their soybeans. Usually it was winter wheat. One of the things that they were um, doing was the no-till farming. So we had a lot of herbicides um, sprayed on our fields every year. And uh, what they ended up doing towards the end was they would just mow the winter wheat and not bale it, leave it spray the whole farm with herbicides and then plant on top of that. So our fields really suffered from a lot of like overuse. The soil is pretty depleted by this point. So once we realized that, uh, we didn't know how bad it was, but once we realized it, we did some soil samples and the like. And um, we are committed to bringing our soil back to a healthy level naturally. You know, obviously it's a very large area in our fenced and produce garden area. We can bring in like you know, compost and topsoil and that sort of thing. But with the fields, we have to do it in um, a slower, more, you know, more direct way um, with planting things that will add that nitrogen back in. We will be doing the crimson clover um, for a few seasons uh, just to get it back to where it needs to be. And, you know, like I said, thank goodness for Google. <laughs> I just don't know if we would I love the crimson clover. I feel like it would be great also in, in photographs. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to do it with the added benefit of the nitrogen and the, you know, getting those fields back. And it's also wonderful for the, for the bees and the, you know, the pollinators and the birds. And yeah, it's great. For those that might not, you know, know some of this verbiage, talk a little bit about, if you will, if you're comfortable, the whole thing about no-till farming that was introduced at some point as a way of like like helping the soil, wasn't it? Yes. Um, so as far as I have been told and, and read, the no-till farming in our area was pushed because it would contain runoff from the fields. So the theory was when we plowed our fields as farmers, there would be runoff from the field into, you know, we're very close to the Chesapeake Bay watershed, um, so into the Bay watershed areas. Yeah. When it comes to a farm, farm plans, um, the way that our farm was graded uh, by Matt's grandfather was that 
the fields would not erode. So we have um, some areas in our fields that, you know, there might be like an area in between the two fields that isn't plowed and isn't, you know, touched. It just is left grass because it helps with runoff from the fields and erosion. Because as a farmer, you don't want your fields to erode. There are farmers that do no-till farming that do it in an organic way and do not use herbicides and pesticides where they use more natural, um, you know, mowing over it to try to keep the weeds down after they've grown their winter wheat, not spraying herbicide and planting on top of that. There are other farmers that utilize um, the chemicals and the herbicides. It's essentially roundup, roundup in your field prior to planting. Yeah. The farmer that was farming us, um, he's an amazing person and it's, you know, nothing, he was awesome. Right. He gave, you know, his shirt off his back to anybody and he was doing what he needed to do to make a living. But between the overuse and I firmly believe the chemical overuse, um, it did do a number on the soil. Yeah, I think, you know, these practices, as you, as you say, where they, they were encouraged at a certain time and still are to a certain extent, you know, it, it takes a lot of education and like a lot of I think convincing to have people understand that these things, maybe they solve some problems, but, you know, they cause other problems mm -hmm. and that we're seeing this today in, you know, in problems with the soil, you know, across the whole planet that have been over, you know, too many chemicals used in them. And, but the idea of to back, to go back just a little bit, the idea of the no-till in theory is really good because you're not tearing up the, the organisms in the soil and you're, maintaining the microbial life that's, that's under the surface and not disturbing that all the time. Right. So, you know, if you can employ a no-till practice that doesn't include, you know, the glyphosate. The glyphosate, by the way, is actually a, um, a trademark antibiotic. And so it has antibiotic properties, antimicrobial properties. So when you put glyphosate on the soil to kill those cover crops, so that you can plant the next thing, it actually takes the microbes out of the soil. And so then, you know, the soil slowly, like literally is dying. Right. There's so many theories out there right now. And so many people just, you know, trying to make it work and doing what they need to get, to get their crop up and going and keep the farm going and make some money and um, make a living. It's just, it's very, it's a very complicated and nuanced problem and you know we just love talking to people that are doing different things and doing them all different ways and what have they tried and what works for them and where where do you get the most support for what you're doing in terms of like in you know is your is your community does they rally behind what you're doing and helping you get this thing off the ground or or is it harder <laughs> than that we actually have had such a great response from our community. Um, I've met so many people, including my technically neighbors, you know, people that I never would have met before, just through our markets, through the photography. And, you know, they've encouraged us and loved us and supported us and cheered us on. We have some like diehard Wildberry fans, which is awesome. And they're at every vendor market, you know, supporting us in everything that we do. And I mean, you know, I feel like even outside of just our local community, I've met so many awesome people, even through social media and that virtual community. Um, I've met a ton of other women farmers and actually have gone to their farms in real life to meet them. And, you know, it's just so great to have um, people that are doing the same thing that you're doing 
they can share with your triumphs and the joys, and they can also commiserate with you in the hardships, and they're doing the same things as you. So that's one of the, the biggest things that has come out of this and what warms our heart the most is all of the people that we've met and being able to share the farm with, um, with others in our community. It's probably our biggest push for, for doing what we're doing. We want this to be a place of peace and respite for people. We love the farm so much and we feel so comfortable here. Um, and it's a place where we relax. We want other people to experience that as well from our community. It, it sounds like you have a real vibrant lady farmer community there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I know that you guys, well, now I know you're only a year old-ish, less than a year old. So you basically started everything right before the pandemic. Yeah. How has that like affected? I mean, obviously you seem to have figured some things out kind of as you're going, but tell me about that, like starting this business and then the COVID pandemic happening. Yeah. So we had a great, you know, fall season with the photographers last October and November. Um, and then we also had a few uh, here and there over the winter. And then when COVID hit, my husband's company uh, that he works for in Annapolis, they uh, shut their doors for a few weeks. So I had him on the farm for like weeks and I just put him to work. <laughs> like we built fences, we built a new chicken coop. Um, you know, we did a lot of projects. We were able to knock out a lot of things around the farm in preparation for the season. And then, you know, with everything being shut down, obviously that meant like no photography um, was happening and no um, markets or anything like that. So we decided not to cancel anything, but just reschedule. So we pushed our opening weekend for our, our seasonal market from the first weekend in May to the first weekend in June, which ended up working very well. And then, uh, you know, as things started opening back up again, the best thing about this is that it is open air. So we can, and we are considered essential because we are agricultural. So we can have our seasonal market. We can have, um, once the photographers were able to work again, we could have them back up here. And um, honestly, I, I hate to say this because it's, it's been such a tragedy um, and it's been so hard, even for us. I mean, I have two children, they are doing virtual schooling. I am trying to run a farm and a business simultaneously and my husband works and you know, all those normal life things. But uh, at the end of the day, it actually, I mean, it worked out pretty well for us. It was something that I feel like people were really needing. They really wanted to get outside um, when we have our um, seasonal market and our roadside stand and our vendor markets. People are just so thankful to be out in the open air, in the sunshine, you know, be able to get some fresh produce or fresh eggs, shop around a little bit, you know, hang out. Um, we usually have either an artisanal drink person that's here or uh, a coffee truck. So people will get a coffee or a drink and walk around and like go to their thing. And, you know, we have a, um, a vintage flower truck that comes, uh, Sweet Annie's flower truck. She comes to almost every one of them and people get their bouquets and it's just really sweet. It's cool to see the community come out and be able to, you know, socially distant shop. Oh, that's so cool. I don't know why it took me till this point in the conversation to realize that when you say like you have markets, you're hosting these markets. 
on the farm. I think I was just picturing like, I don't know what I was picturing, but either you go to markets or you set up your little table at your farm with just your stuff, but you're like bringing all these people in. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we do um, just our seasonal market uh, where it's just our stuff, you know, Thursday evenings okay. and Sundays during the season. We have kind of scaled back on that now that the fall is coming and Honestly, I'm very tired. So <laughs> I was like, I need a break. But yeah, so second Saturday of the month, we have vendors from the, the local community come in. Um, it's a lot of women-owned businesses, which I mentioned is something that I'm very passionate about. And my background is in social media and marketing. So I market, you know, the heck out of it and just make sure that everybody knows about it in the area and we have a great time. And like I said, you know, people come and hang out and do a little shopping and it's just fun. It's fun for me because I get to like, I got these clay earrings last time. Those are cute. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, it's fun stuff. Feel good stuff. When things started opening up in June, of course y'all didn't have much to compare it to because you were so new, but did you see just a surge of interest in, in your produce and everything? Because, I mean, you know, people were really worried about where they were going to get their food. Yes, I got a lot of phone calls, <laughs> a lot. At our opening weekend, we had, you know, our produce stand, and then we had the vendors that, you know, we wanted to give back to the community, and that's kind of how our vendor market started. We invited a bunch of small business friends. Um, I'm super plugged into the creative community in our area, and so we invited a bunch of small business friends and we were like, just come, we're, you know, we're not charging anything. I know that like weddings have been canceled. You can't sell at your store, whatever it may be, but we, we can host you. So come here. And we saw about 200 people just on the first day of that first weekend. <laughs> and um, it was super cool. Like we had a raffle from all these small businesses. We did goodie bags um, from small businesses that contributed. I was able to like really market it because like I said, we were supposed to do it earlier and it ended up getting pushed to June. Um, we were supposed to do it in May. And it was just really cool. It was cool to see the turnout. We had a photographer that documented the day and um, we had like, Sweet Annie's flower truck and we had uh, Vintage Views Bar, which is a camper bar and she had her drinks. And so it was just like a really fun time. People needed to get out. They needed something to do. And uh, so they came to us. That sounds fun. I want to come. You can totally you know. come. <laughs> um, I'm wondering for someone who's listening to this and is just feeling really inspired and excited, but maybe they don't have the just like brilliant background in social media and marketing and stuff that you have. It might, it might feel kind of like overwhelming. So do you have any like advice for someone who wants to cultivate this kind of thing, maybe they have a farm, maybe they don't yet, but like what's kind of an accessible like learning advice kind of thing that you feel like you could offer up around, around this? I do social media and branding and design on the side as well. And my number one advice that I give to my clients and the people that I work with is just be yourself, be authentically you. Don't try to be somebody else. The world needs you and your brand of who you are. And if you show up, and you uh, show your face and you show people who you are, they will form a human connection with you and they will want to know more about you and your services and what you're offering. That's honestly the best piece of advice that I can give. Um, I know so many of my friends and clients, they kind of choke up when it comes to social media because they don't know what to say or how to say it. And I just tell them, pretend you're talking to a friend, you know, just be you, um, don't put too much thought into it let your light shine and um, it, it'll come. Do you believe there's a niche for everybody? Yes, I do. <laughs>
So you're out there, you know, and there's so many things to do on a farm. And you obviously are such a great example of, you know, finding ways to to, to just spread the joy and ways of, of marketing and bringing people in and introducing people to, you know, everything a, a farm can be or that the land can produce. It's a really good example of all that. So Bridget, we are, we just so loved chatting with you today and we're going to wind up here, but before we let you go, I just want to hear a, if you could sum up in a sentence or two, what do you want people to most understand about the work that you're doing? So the work that we are doing in regards to the farm is sustaining the land um, and maintaining it for future generations to come. In regards to our community, we want this to be a place of peace and a community-centered location in our area for people to come, be outside in nature, learn something new, and enjoy their day outside. <laughs> Building a better world, right there. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. <laughs> right here in Maryland. So yeah, let's go back to um, the markets and you and people finding you and where you are. And if they don't live in Maryland, how can they engage with you? Tell us all of those things. Yeah, so um, we do our seasonal market for produce during the season, um, Thursday evenings and Sunday mornings or online. Um, you can buy online and pick up at the farm. Our website is www.wildberryfarmmarket.com. We're on Facebook, Wildberry Farm and Market. We're on Instagram at Wildberry Farm Market. Um, and we are also on Pinterest, Wildberry Farm and Market. And you can come to our second Saturday vendor markets, the second Saturday of the month that will run through December. You guys are just like, wow. You I know. Really are you tired? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I use a lot of concealer now. <laughs> um, yeah, I sleep really well at night. Like I sleep really, I fall asleep at like eight o'clock at night. Wow. In my kids' beds, usually. <laughs> yeah. And and your kids are how old? I have a 12-year-old boy. He just started uh, middle school. And I have a six-year-old girl who's in first grade. My and do, they, do they help on the farm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, our son, Riley, he's just like one of those helpful people. He's the only boy on the farm. So uh, we just got him a riding mower that we're going to teach him how to use, which will be so awesome. And he like, you know, he's helped split firewood and um, we have some very mature trees in our front yard. He picks up sticks for us before Matt mows and, you know, all those like helping boy stuff. And then um, of course our daughter Magnolia loves to basically, she collects eggs and finds critters outside and brings them inside. <laughs> that's her job. Oh, that's, that's so wonderful. Awesome. You know, I, it's too late for my kids. They, they grew up in the suburbs. So <laughs> <laughs> me too. I live through them. I live vicariously through them. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Bridget. We just loved having you on and we can't wait to come visit. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I love being with you. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode and were able to get some insight and inspiration into another part of the farm business and some other options for uh, not only maybe having your own farm and your own farm business, but also what it means to be a patron of a place like this and to support your local farmers and all the different ways that you can do that. Yeah. So look up Wildberry Farms and all the things they have going on. And if you're local, if you live anywhere in the Annapolis, Maryland area, go out there and pay them a visit during one of their many fun events. Thank you so much again for listening to The Good Dirt. 
And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review so that other people can find us. If you aren't following us already, we are at We Are Lady Farmer on Instagram. And if a community of like-minded, slow-living, seeking, seasonal, wonderful people sounds good to you, then definitely join us in the Almanac. The cart closes December 31st, and we'll be having an orientation meeting on Monday the 21st. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go ahead and snag your spot this weekend. We can't wait to meet you. See you soon. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time.